This is an Aim High You production. Today on The Purpose Lab. And that's when I started really experiencing like major thoughts of ending my life. It was terrifying, but I didn't want to tell anyone because the only impressions I ever had about depression and suicidal thoughts was from movies. And they were like, yeah, crazy people have depression. Hey, welcome back to The Purpose Lab. I'm excited. I'm excited about our next guest. And I know what you're going to say. I say this all the time because I am. I'm truly excited when we have guests come on to talk about their purpose, when they come on and talk about what our platform is all about, because we're on a journey to find the world's most successful failures, failures who understand that failure was just part of the process in order to ultimately get them to their success. So today's guest, we have Harry Potvin, and we're going to get right into it if that's okay with you, Harry. Of course, man. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So Harry, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, man. So um, I'm currently just about to graduate from University of Guelph in Ontario, Canada. Congrats. Um, thank you very much. Yes, it's been a very, uh, it's been a long ride to say the least. A lot of, a uh, lot of meetings with the program ad- uh, academic advisor. Um, okay. <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah. yeah, she's probably sick of me. So she's happy I'm graduating too. Um, I was a former competitive swimmer for 11 years. Uh, I swam for the University of Guelph. I was captain in my last year. Um, and right now what I'm doing, once I graduate from the university, I think I'm going to take a year off. Uh, I'm currently doing a podcast. Uh, it's called The H Panel. And I bring on guests from all different backgrounds to talk about uh, all the things under the umbrella term mental health, because I myself have had my own struggles and I just love talking to people. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Definitely. So I, I, I want to get into your podcast in a little bit, but I want to I want us to go back because um, I think I told you, you know, I do academic advising myself. So I mm-hmm. will speak on behalf of your academic advisor. She's not tired of you because you <laughs> did exactly what you came to the university to do, which was graduate. And so as long mm-hmm. as you're doing that, you can contact us anytime. So I know I don't want to speak for her, but I'm sure she would say that. So Take me back a little bit. So competitive swim, competitive swim. So have you always been a swimmer growing up? And if so, when did it start? Yeah, man, uh, swimming was actually a huge part of my identity. I think most student athletes can kind of attest to that. Like it's a huge part of who you are. Like my Twitter handle is still swimmerboy98. Like it's it's just <laughs> something that's been a part of me forever. I, I started, um, there was like a brief stint when I was five or six years old. I was swimming for one of the cities up here. Uh, but I was really bad, as most five to six-year-olds are. Um, and then we moved houses, so that was kind of the end of it. And then throughout my childhood, I played a bunch of different sports. I played, you know, like baseball, soccer, the usual, like rugby, the usual ones. But then I came back from summer camp one summer, and I was very overweight. Like, I had eaten a lot. And my parents were... My you parents, enjoyed your summer, huh? <laughs> I enjoyed my summer. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so my parents were like, um, yeah, we got to get this kid into some serious cardio or he's, he's going to die. So mm. they, they put me in uh, competitive swimming and I kind of fell in love with it. I, and additionally, like, you know, my, my parents met in swimming kind of, my dad was captain of his university team. All my wow. aunts swam, my cousins were on national teams. So it was like, there was a big background of swimming in my family. Um, okay. and yeah, I just kind of fell in love with it. I joined with my brother and my sister and we just kind of did our thing. Okay. So, so your parents were swimmers as well. So kind of passed down that swimming gene. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Kind of. Okay. <laughs> was, okay. Well, you said your father was a captain, so I always challenge my student athletes. Were you any good? Tell me about that. And this gives you an opportunity to be humble, but brag on yourself a little bit. Were you <laughs> any good, Harry? Was I any good? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I was good enough <laughs> to, okay. be, to be a captain, you know. Um, actually, that's a pretty funny story uh, about how good I was um, because throughout high school, the thing was when I when I turned 13, we had a scandal on the team and a mm. coach got fired for, you know, some things I won't get into. But okay. when he got fired for it, the whole upper year of swimmers left. So at 13, wow. I was the oldest swimmer. Oh, wow. And I had to, like, basically be the leader of this team, a bunch of, like, 10 to 12-year-olds. And once you're in that position for so long as a kid, it can kind of get to your head a little bit. So when I was in, like, grade 11 or 12, I thought I was top shit. I thought I was, like, you know, I thought I was better than I was. I had a huge head on my shoulders. Um, And then once I started going to, like, recruiting weekends for university teams, like – I started to get humbled a little, uh, a little, some, a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit, because some some uni some uni uh, coaches were like, "Yeah, no, you can't even come to a weekend." I was like, "Oh wow. man!" Uh, wow. And then when I went to the Guelph one, I fell in love with it immediately. Like I, I fell in love with the team. I fell in love with the atmosphere. It was like a small town vibe. Mm. Um, and I remember after the weekend, I met with the coach. And he, he was like, tell me how, tell me what you think about it. And I was like, I really, I think I'm going to be a griffin, which is our mascot. I was like, I really uh-huh. want to be a griffin. I want to be a part of this. And he's like, yeah, you're not going to make the team though. And I was like, oh, wow. What? And he's like, yeah, no, you're better off going somewhere else because I'm not going to let you on this team. Mm. And that's kind of when I realized, oh, I'm really not as good as my ego thinks of him. Wow. So, so I left that uh, office and I was like, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. Why mm. not? Uh, because I always loved being the underdog. It fueled me. So, you know, it, after a year of training my ass off, I finally made the team and was captain three, three and a half, four years later. Okay. So tell me this. So let's, let's dig a little deeper. So you got fueled by them telling you what you couldn't do. Yep. Do you operate like that in other things in your life outside of swimming? All the time. I I actually, that's the reason I went into my program at university because um, I was never really, I was really good in like English and communication and, you know, those kinds of arts. I was not very good at science. I just never really cared for it or understood it in high school. And in grade 12, I remember I had a panic attack because I didn't submit a project on the day. And, uh, and I was doing really terrible in grade 12 biology. And my my teacher came up to me and he was like, listen, Harry, I'm going to be honest with you. You could go to university, but don't you dare apply to science. He's like, mm. you will never succeed in science. And that day I applied to science. It's at like seven <laughs> different universities. I was like, I'm proving this guy wrong. Uh, mm. it's, it's like a little bit of me loving to be the underdog and maybe a little bit of being stubborn. Um, but ah. yeah, that's how I operate most of the time. Definitely. Okay. So tell me about your swimming career. So you make the team. Tell me about your swimming career because I, I find with some of the athletes, whether it's my college, high school athletes, collegiate athletes, or my professional athletes, what is the thing that kept you going once you, okay, I'm on the team now because you said you got to have challenges. So now you're there, you proved everybody wrong. So how did you keep that competitive fuel going? Oh, yeah, man. So when I got into my first year, 
there was a party for all the new swimmers and the current swimmers on the team. And I'm looking around the, I'm looking around the room and there's 15 first year guys, like Mm -hmm. 15 people had been recruited to come in and you can only take 18 on the team. So there were already the other dudes who had been there before who were basically a shoe in for the team. And then 15 first year guys trying to prove themselves. Mm. And I had done my research on every other guy that was there. You know, I, 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 you have to. <laughs> hey, steady your competitor, right? Right. 50, yes. Oh, I, I, I just got finished. I'm sorry. I cut you off, but I want you to keep it there, though. But I just got finished listening to 50 Cent has a new book out. And he talked about that. He talked about studying your competitors. A lot of times we don't do that when we don't understand how important that is. But every organization, every from Facebook app, all of these, they study their competitors. So mm-hmm. continue on. Man, you have to. You have to or you're going to go in there blind. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I was looking around the room and I had done my research and I came to the conclusion. I was like, I'm probably like bottom three here. Mm. Like after looking at the times and looking like some of them had come for weekends and stayed long. So they knew everyone and I didn't really know anybody. And so I was like, I'm really going to have to like work my ass off to prove myself because mm-hmm. I wasn't going to kill them with my speed. So I was, I just, I just settled with, I'm going to kill them with my work ethic because mm-hmm. that was something that the team really loved to emphasize. And so for the first couple months, like First of all, it was freaking brutal. Um, like just the intensity of their practices. Wow. I'd never done anything like it. Like we had uh-huh. so many times where we were just like puking and like feeling garbage. <laughs> it was awful. It was terrible. But I remember uh, we had this system where uh, the team gets to vote on two people, two of each gender every weekend uh, for who was worthy at the beginning of the year for a black cap, which is like our official swim team cap. So we all started with white caps and every week they would vote someone in as like someone who's worthy to keep stay on the team. And I remember being one of the top five on a team where I was easily bottom three out of like the 25, 30 guys that were there. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of when I was like, okay, so this is, I got to prove myself more. And I just had to keep proving my worth because I knew in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm still not a top swimmer. So that's kind of what fueled me even for the next three years. I just, I wanted to, I guess, I guess what motivated me after that first year, it wasn't about proving my worth. It was about not only pushing myself, but my teammates, because we've, Mm. we had a lot of down moments where there just wasn't very much motivation on the team. And practices were kind of, you know, dull in a way. People were just there for the sake of it. So a lot of a big reason why I kept going was because I didn't want everyone else to just crumble. I wanted the team to stay in the same position that I had come in on. Wow. So you mean to tell me you went from it being about you and making a team and you being stubborn enough to say, hey, I got to prove this person wrong to understanding the importance of being a leader to say, OK, I'm here, but I'm looking at different people who maybe think the way I used to think. How can I now encourage them to bring out the best in them? Would that be safe to summarize what you just said? That's a beautiful summary. Yep, exactly. Oh. 
Well, congratulations. Congratulations, because that's that next level, right? That next level is, okay. I understand I can do this, but if I'm on a team, I got to help my team understand that they can do it as well. That's that team concept. But a lot of times we focus on the I. So congratulations on that part, Mr. Competitive Swimmer. So now tell (laughs) me, Mr. I'm going to be in science. What did you end up majoring in? Yeah, so that's another funny story. Um, so I got into the University of Guelph for animal biology. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So a very easy program. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, <laughs> I know you're not kidding. <laughs> no. Um, but what I didn't realize at the time was I just loved animals. Like that's that's always been my thing. I work at the zoo up here in Toronto. Um, so animals have always been a part of my life. But what I didn't realize was that animal bio at the university of guelph was a pre-vet program Mm. and i never wanted to be a vet because being a vet is so hard and um so i remember we we were in this auditorium with all the people in animal biology and uh the there was a girl next to me sitting there and she was like oh hey like what vet school are you looking at and i was like what what are you talking about? She's <laughs> Another like Another school after this? What do you mean? Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> I just I got like, it in this one. <laughs> I was like, wait, what do you mean? There's four years and you're done. You're in the workforce. She's like, what? What are you talking about? You're in a vet program. It's like, what? So for the the next year and a half, <laughs> for the next year and a half, it was awful because I I gotta give a lot of credit to vet students because that program was a dog eat dog world. Like I remember I would ask for help on some like homework and they would give you the wrong answers. Really? Uh, Yeah, because then that means you failed and they were one step above you. It was everyone. It was a competitive mindset. Yeah, because the vets, the vet school in Guelph only took the top 7% of applicants. Wow. And so everyone was like, I'm getting in and you're not. That was the mindset. My mindset was, I'm just trying to graduate. So I I did not fit into that at all. Um, Uh So then after a year and a half, I was in this one course and uh, we we were studying the structures, like skeletal structures, nervous system, gastrointestinal system of farm animals. And you had to know each one off the top of your head. And I couldn't do that. That was never in my expertise. So I was sitting in the exam and I'm looking at the questions. I don't know half the words. And I'm looking at everyone else and they're all writing away. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like this isn't, mm. I'm I'm going to crumble. And like, I'm already feeling like garbage. I'd rather just, mm. you know, take the next three years to do something I want. So mm. right after that exam, I switched majors to just straight biology. And I loved it because it was more general, which meant I had a little more freedom to do what I wanted. And it was also not that dog eat dog mentality. Everyone was like, we're all in this together and we're willing to help each other. There was more teamwork. So I loved that way more, but yeah. So I ended up majoring in biology. What did your, when you decided to change your major, what did your parents say? Were they supportive um, or, or, or did they feel like, well, no, you should do this. What did your parents say? Yeah. So when I, when I announced that I wanted to switch, my parents were actually very supportive about it because they could see that I was struggling so hard. Mm. I think the biggest criticism actually came from myself because mm. I, I felt like I had let myself down, let my ego down because I had come into this trying to prove a point. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
when I was in my early years of uni, no one really mentioned that you can switch majors. It's okay. Yes. I uh, thought it was, you know, you pick it when you're 18 and that's what you do for the rest of your life. That's what I just assumed. So when I announced I was switching majors, my parents were like, okay, like, let's talk it through. Like, what are you thinking of going into? Like, make sure you go into a field where there's still a lot of job opportunities. So they were very accepting, but all the backlash came from my own mental. I was like, you're such a failure, man. Like that, that's, that's what I was telling myself. So yeah. Hey, what's up purpose people. This is Justin Romack, the producer of the purpose lab. And I hate to cut in on such a good episode. I'm sorry. This is awkward, but I had something important. I needed you to know right now. And that is if you are not a member of Doc's Facebook group, purpose people finding and following a life fueled by purpose then what are you waiting for friend you are missing out on so stinking much and so here's what i need you to do click pause on your podcast player don't worry we'll be here when you get back but i need you to go over to facebook and join this group you can search for purpose people or you can go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash purpose people we will be there on the other side click join let us know a little bit of information about you and we'll let you in because we need you there uh, you're going to get tons of resources. Doc's daily motivational videos are there. We'll have tons of opportunities to connect and grow together. But more importantly, the group is missing out on your value because I know if you're listening to this show, that means you have something to offer the world, right? And we want you to be sharing it there in the Purpose People community. So do your thing, hop over, join the group. We will see you on the other side. And now let's get you back to this episode. So that was the self-talk that you were saying to yourself that you're a failure because you quit a program. Yep. So how did you work your way through that particular self-talk? Was it because you and your parents sat down? But even if you sat down with them, it's still the self-talk that you got to be willing to believe that you got to be able to take in. So how did you process through all of that? Man, I don't think I did. I don't think I, I don't think I process, processed it until uh, my last year of university. Uh, if I can look back and it's interesting looking back, right? Because the person who was in university for myself, that wasn't who I was. I was in a completely different mental state. Um, but I remember, I believe, I completely believed that was a failure from that, even before that, but I was convinced after that moment, it kind of solidified it in my brain. I was convinced I was a failure from then until my last year of university, when I started getting the mental help I needed it just, okay. I don't think I ever really processed it properly. I just kind of just, I was like, yeah, that's the way it is. You know, I'm just a failure and uh, let's just try to keep going. Okay. So let me dig a little deep if, if you would allow me to. Let's do so it. So you were a failure there, but then how, how did you find the happiness of being a captain of proving yourself, making it on a team, then helping your team as a leader that we talked about, but then over here you're struggling. So how did you find that balance or what were you dealing with? It, it's, it's really complicated. It's, it sounds complicated, right? I don't, I honestly don't know. Um, even when I got the captaincy position, it didn't really sink in because when I got it, I still didn't believe I deserved it uh, because mm. of all that negative self-talk. I felt mm. In my own head, I felt like it was just a pity vote, which it wasn't at the end of the day. It's just, uh -huh. that's, I, I had tried to convince myself that it was something else. Um, so by, by the fourth year of university, I had gotten very good at putting a mask on 
and putting like how I felt on the inside away from the public because mm. my, my, you know, my mental health was deteriorating from early on. Like it had been like a decade almost of just mm -hmm. struggling in silence and having my own inner demons. And when I was in high school, I tried to open up to some people. And when I would open up, people would go, how do you think that makes me feel though? Like, stop saying that stuff. It, it's, it's harmful to me. And so mm -hmm. I, I thought, oh shit, you're right. Like I should just, I should just never talk about it. So I never did. And then I started suppressing it more and more. And then, so once I got to uni, any negative thought in my head, I never showed it. So it was just a way to, what I would do was I would try to put up a persona of myself for the team to stay strong for the team. But really that's not how I felt inside. I hated myself for years. I just mm. made it so that the whole team didn't know because I was kind of ashamed of that too. Wow. So you're dealing with this internal struggle that you're now putting on this facade for everyone else that everything's okay. So this imposter syndrome, right? Everything's mm -hmm. okay. Everything's all right. And and people are believing it, right? So people are believing on the outside, right? Because um, you're the captain. And, and like you said, it was something interesting that you said that people took ownership of it in a different way than you expected them to and said, wait a minute, you're making me feel this way. Right. Yep. Yeah. So so how did how did you process it? Well, you said you you just stopped talking about it. But were you kind of thrown back like, wait a minute, I'm trying to reach out a little bit and ask for help. But yeah, of, co of course. I mean, you know, men mental health was never talked about with young boys mm -hmm. and young boy athletes. So I didn't know where to start. So I just thought, which is the right thought. I just thought opening up to people I cared about was a great idea. And I'm gonna talk, I'm not talking about family or f like really close friends, but there were people like teammates I had or, you know, people at school that I had tried opening up to because I was like, I could probably trust these people. And then when they did that, I was like, oh, wait, is that not what you do when you're struggling? You don't open up to people you trust? Oh, okay. And I was so young that like, you know, you're still developing. So my whole idea of what to do when you were in that moment was getting completely reconfigurated. I was like, oh, okay. So when I'm really struggling, I'm not going to tell anyone because I might hurt someone else's feelings. Uh, and then and then on top of that, that other layer is you're a boy. You're not supposed to have these feelings, yes, right? Yes. Yep. Talk me through I, uh, that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I um. So ever since I was a kid, I was one of the more emotional kids on the playground, like immediately. I just, I never was interested in the quote unquote boy stuff. I didn't care for cars. I didn't care for like, you know, watching sports at the time or anything like that or fighting. I, I loved bugs. Yeah. I love Disney movies. Like that's, <laughs> I was like, I love Disney princess movies. Like I was obsessed uh -huh. with that stuff. And so, uh -huh. you know, as a kid, if a guy's into that stuff, he gets targeted quick, yes. you know, because you're just yeah. immediately labeled as a weak weakling and mm. wrongfully labeled as, you know, gay, which unfortunately mm -hmm. was something that, you know, people hated at the time. It was mm. like mm. they would poke fun at you for it. And yeah. so I got targeted very young because of these things. And then when I would get my back against the wall in these moments, I'd cry because I had no idea how yeah. else to you know, react. So when I cried, that's another layer to it. And they're like, oh, so he's also a crybaby. And then, so I just got bullied constantly. And then, so when I was, that was even before swimming. And then when I was a young boy, 
uh, on the swim team bef- before that whole scandal happened and there were still people I could look up to on the team, I would look at them and see how they reacted to bad races or a bad practice or when they were feeling upset and they would all do the same thing. They would all punch the lockers, cuss at people, mm. like just bang their head on a wall. And so as a young kid, when you're trying to figure life out, I'm going, that's what you do when you're sad. Okay, mm. I get it because every other guy I look up to as a role model is doing that. So then my whole idea of how to not only register emotion, but how to express myself was completely skewed. Mm. Wow. You know, what's interesting about what you said, and I want to back up a little bit, and I know I have a a bunch of listeners, um, many of which from my community, from other communities, and I was just thinking about this morning. I said, you know, Tyler Perry, um, Sean Puffy Combs, um, all of these different people, how different communities try to hurt them as they try to label them and say, oh, they're gay. And so we we have this way of saying, oh, you're gay. If you're if you're a guy and you're just not as masculine as we're seeing uh, men supposed to be. I think about my life. I have a daughter and I talk about it all the time because I get emotional. Right. And I blame it on her because I'm like, it's all these tea parties. It's all these tea parties we had. <laughs> That's why I get emotional. But then when I when I connect the dots moving backwards, I think about, you know, growing up in a single parent household. I was raised with my mother. I, I watched her. So a lot of different things that she would do, I would be part of. Right. And so I did like different things but I, I like sports but I liked other things as well my mother helped me to be well-rounded and I started being around all different type of people so it didn't matter whether you were gay whether you were whatever to me but I've watched how because I had a friend when I worked at a place um Circuit City and I remember I had this girlfriend at the time and she used to always make comments about him and I you know once I have a friend that's my friend and I used to be like whatever whatever and then one day I came to work and he said Damon I want to talk to you and so I remember us going into this room and his name was Mark and he said Damon I just want to tell you um I'm gay and I said um no you're not because when when girls come in we're like "Ooh, she's hot she said yeah he said yeah I just shake my head because that's what all you guys are doing and 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 he looked like he was about to cry when he was telling me this story and I said why are you getting he said because I really consider us friends I said we're still friends Mm -hmm. I don't judge who you are based on what you decide to do i based who you are on the relationship that we have and you've never treated me bad you've never done and so it's one of these things that i know different people battle with because we're quick to judge others i always say this last thing and i want you to continue because on my podcast i try to make sure that i'm not doing all the talking but i feel like i'm talking to one of my student athletes and so this is how our our conversation is going but but one of the things that i've 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 understood is that people are great judges for when they got to judge other people but when people are judging them they're phenomenal lawyers And so we're great at being judges, but then we're great lawyers when somebody's coming at us. And so we know how to play both ends. So I just want to congratulate you and 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 really just get to as we segue, because I want to now talk about it, um, how you were able to deal with these different emotions and really go get the help, which I'm assuming that's when things change. Because as we started off talking about this, you said now you understand things differently and you're a different person than you were back then. So what finally happened to make you and, and your 
podcast H panel, right? And and what made you finally say I need to go get help because I don't like dealing with the struggle that that I find myself dealing with inside of me. Mm. So I think that question kind of starts in my first year of university. And I'll give a little, I, I don't want to rant too much here, but I'll, I'll give a little background as to how I was feeling in grade 12. Mm-hmm. Because so I had been suppressing my emotions for so long that, you know, I, I started getting labeled as a hothead because the only way I knew how to react to those emotions was to punch stuff or scream at people or bang my head on a wall. And so I would have a bad race at a swim meet. I'd cuss people out. I'd throw chairs. I'd, I was one of those kids. You know, yeah. uh, the kids that you walk on deck and the, all the lifeguards are like giving you the side eye. They're like, should we call yeah. somebody? What's he going to do? <laughs> what's he, yeah, no, exactly. They're all on their toes. My dad's in the stands like, oh, what's he going to do this time? Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's just how it was. The, th- the difference was in high school, I was busy. I was so busy with everything that I didn't have time to think about it. So I was, I would swim, it, it would, swim practice would go from like 5.15 to 7 a.m. And then I would go straight from swimming to school for eight hours. And then after school, I'd go to rugby practice. And then after rugby practice, I'd go to swim practice. And then after swim practice, come home, do homework, go to bed. Cycle continues every day. So I never had time to myself. And then when I moved out to uni, I was alone. Like at like when you first start off in uni, you, you don't have friends, right? Um, well, you might, but I didn't have very, have very many friends. Uh, and we didn't really know the swim team very well. So that's kind of the first time I had to sit down and face the music. Mm. And that's kind of when I realized, I was like, I've been suppressing these feelings for so long and I hadn't worked on them. And it kind of, it, it, you, you know, it, it, the best way I can describe it is, have you seen Princess and the Frog? I have a I have a um, soon to be right. sixteen year old daughter. Of course, of you have. course, I seen Princess and a Frog <laughs> yeah, a thousand course. times, and probably gonna watch it later on the day. But go ahead, sorry, I digress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm on my way. Actually, can we end this? <laughs> <little? No. laughs> um, but you know when the uh, the magician or the dark arts guy when he uh, when all those spirits come out of his hat, mm-hmm. that's what it felt like. So mm. finally, my hat was opening up and everything was coming out. And it was like this, 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 you, you're like dealing with this. And I didn't know how to handle it because I never had to. So that's the first spout of major depression that I experienced as a student. Um, and additionally, you know, you add the stress of me trying to prove myself on the team. You add the stress of me trying to prove myself in the classroom. It was just, it was all too much. And I didn't have those distractions that I had prior. So that kind of started it. But still, I didn't go get help because I refused to believe I needed help in that area. Mm. So the first year, you know, I did my thing. Second year was a little better because of my success on the swim team. It was easily my best year. It was the team's best year as well. It was very easy to distract myself with that. But once that summer hit, I was a mess because I didn't have swimming anymore. And, uh, you know, I had a falling out with the girl, the girl I was with. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was basically alone in Guelph with my own Mm -hmm. thoughts again. And that's when I started really experiencing like major thoughts of ending my life. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to handle that either. It was terrifying, but I didn't want to tell anyone because, you know, um, like the only, I mean, now we're talking about it more, which is fantastic, but the only impressions I ever had about depression and suicidal thoughts was from movies. And they were like, yeah, Mm -hmm. crazy people have depression 
So I didn't want to be labeled as quote unquote crazy. I refused to believe I had that. Uh, so I had been officially diagnosed in my first year of university with it. And even then I was like, I don't want to believe this. So in that summer, it was awful. And that's kind of when things really started going south. But I still, again, I refused to get the help. I would go to therapy once and then I'd be like, I'm good for the year. And then, you know, you, two weeks later, you're feeling it again. But then it didn't really hit until my fourth year because I think things had just started spilling out. And we'll get into this probably a little later, but I was dealing with a really bad back injury. Mm. So, and it was my last year of swimming and it was getting kind of ruined. So my whole identity was in crisis. I had no idea what mm. to do. And that's when my really close suicidal attempt happened. It was like, I basically, you know, was very close. And I remember uh, right after I kind of was lying there and I was like, man, I love my family and friends too much. Like, I can't, I can't do this. I gotta, I, I gotta stop, you know, looking the other way. I gotta go face my demons. So that's kind of when uh, I started getting proper help. And when I first got in, my therapist she was the seventh therapist I had seen in these four years because none of the other ones, they were all terrible, but she was the f the first one who was like, here's my number. If you need anything, call me. Like I care about you. And hearing mm -hmm. that from a therapist was huge. I was like, Oh, they actually do care about you in therapy. That's crazy. I'm not just a number. Wow. Um, so that's kind of when I started getting those ideas of ending my life slowly out i started taking the antidepressants i needed i started going to therapy i started doing the self-help i needed um and then i started opening up more and there was one uh panel that i i got invited to at the university of guelph it was a men's only mental health panel in november of 2019 and uh they were like do you want to speak at it and i said sure and then i didn't really think about it until a couple days before and that's when I kind of made the decision to go, I'm going to be very open about what I am going through because I had talked about, you know, oh, I get sad here and there. And, you know, I was a hothead. People knew I was going through something. I just had never really opened up about the extent. Um, and I think that holding things back was only making things worse. So I was like, I finally just want to open up and tell people what I'm going through. Like, I, I want to be honest um, and so it was in front of 300 random people, um, which was wow. terrifying. Um, yes. I, if yes. you watch, like I have the video still. And if you watch it, I'm like, just reading the paper. I'm like, uh, cause I don't want to mm -hmm. look. I'm like freaking yeah. startled. Yeah. There were, there were a couple yeah. people I knew in there, but it was mostly randoms. And I remember after just like feeling this weight lift off my shoulders. It felt like a 10 year weight of accumulation of stress and depression just lifted mm -hmm. off. I finally was able to open up and be like, listen, I go through stuff. Like, I don't want to hide this anymore. I'm not a baby because I, you know, hate myself. I just need help. That's just at the end of the day. And then for a week, couple weeks later, I started getting messages from random people saying like, I went through something similar or my boyfriend's on the hockey team. He went through something similar. And that's when I first really started to realize, like, I'm not alone in this. Like, your mm -hmm. your head convinces you you're alone. And that feeling mm -hmm. of loneliness eats at you. It's it's painful. 
I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, that feeling of being yeah. alone. Even when yeah. there's people in the room, I, I call, like you feel alone in a crowded room. Like that's what it feels like. And so that's when I was kind of like, I can, I'm not alone in this. And I'm pretty okay now to share with my story because I've, I've gone through that first barrier. I mean, I was basically a baby thrown in the pool. I told 300 random people I had suicidal thoughts. Like it's, it's nothing gets more intimidating than that. Yeah. So after that, I kind of, I was like, I'm going to start this channel. Like that's, that's what I want. I'm going to start uh, sharing my story. And there was a little bit of pushback from, you know, my family and friends uh, just because, you know, they have my best interests in mind. And they're like, what if people don't, you know, want to hire you because of these stories? And I was like, if they don't want to hire me because of this, I don't want to work for them. Like, that's just mm. at the end of the day, like, you got to accept who I am. I'm not going to hide this anymore. Um, and so they were okay with it. They just, they were concerned. Um, mm -hmm. And so I started posting videos and then for one video, my housemate, he was a swim team. Uh, he was a swim member as well. And he's like, let me get in on an episode. And I was like, okay, fine. So we were just shooting the shit for one episode, talking about mental health and swimming. And it, it got really good reception. And I was like, you know what? I really love talking to people. I love this topic. Um, I think I can do something with this. And then the mm -hmm. pandemic hit and everyone had nothing but time. So that's kind of yeah. where the show started because I started reaching wow. out to a bunch of people. They were all willing to come on. I was very fortunate with the guests I got. Um, and yeah, here we are. Wow. That's an amazing story. I want to back up a little bit. Yeah, of course. You said you had seven other therapists and mm. you finally had one that was good. And you said the first thing she said was, here's my number. I got a former athletic director who used to always say, and, and, and we've heard this many times, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yes. And so when you think about the other therapists, we're not saying their name or anything, but why wasn't it a connection there? Why wasn't it a connection with all the, what, what was happening with the rest of them? Because I think it's important for us to drill down, especially for those people who are dealing with, who are going through something. And I love that you continue to try to seek out the help that you needed, because sometimes we can have the wrong person. And because that wrong person didn't tell us, didn't give us what we were longing for at that particular time, we can then say, OK, well, I can't even get help from this expert. So what are mm. some things that didn't happen? Yeah, for sure. So first off, I think the reason I went to get help so many times was that stubbornness that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> yes, I was just yes. like, you know what? No, I'm going to get that help. Uh, and it just never worked out six times. So some of the things that didn't work out the first, I love telling the story about my first experience with depression or with depression, my first experience with therapy. Sorry. Okay. Because when I was in my first year of university, um, the university mental health services were pretty terrible. They're great now. Mm -hmm. um, they've really mm -hmm. done a great job to update it. But in my first year, you know, it was it was a year where there were six, I think it was six to student suicides um, mm. in that year within back to back, like a couple months within amongst each other. Like it was it was pretty heavy. Like the year was kind of there was a vibe of the year that it just didn't feel great. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I called to get an appointment with a therapist, it took two weeks because they were backlogged oh, wow. completely. And there were yeah. very, there was a very low amount of therapists actually working. And then, so I remember when I went, I was waiting in the waiting room and they, they call me in. They're like, Harry, please wait in this room. It's kind of like a doctor's appointment. 
Uh, so yeah. I, I was waiting in the office, uh, and she doesn't show up. Uh, wow. And it's like, it's like half an hour of nothing. And so I'm oh sitting in this silent room for half an hour. And I remember I just had a panic attack full blown because mm. I just had me and my thoughts in there. Yeah. And I started realizing like, you're in a therapist's office. That's how crazy you've gotten, man. Like you've fallen off the deep end mm. and you're talking mm. yourself into this loop and there's no one there to back you out of it. So I started panicking mm. and uh, I was like fully, sh I was trembling, I was shaking in that chair. And then after half an hour, she walks in, does not acknowledge that she's late, first of all, mm. which I mean, mm. if you're gonna be late, like I sometimes I get it. If you're late, that's okay. But at least acknowledge it. Like we have mm. lives. Like let's be realistic. Yes. But I mean, if you can acknowledge it, I'd feel a little better about it. So she doesn't acknowledge it. And she kind of looks at me and gives me the up and down. She's like, what's wrong with you? Wow. And I was, yeah, that was the first thing she told me. And I was like, you know, I have, I have depression. Uh, I think I have depression. I really want to end my life. I'm not happy with where I am. I have angry outbursts all the time. And I just want to get out of this mess. And she's just like, okay. And then she writes a prescription for some drugs and says, good luck. And then kicks me out of the wow. office. Yeah. And so wow. I, I walked out of that office thinking, is that what therapy is? I was like, because that made me feel way worse. Mm. So my whole idea of therapy from that first day was, this is terrible. So already it's setting this idea in my head about how therapy is. Yeah. So that was my first experience with therapy. And then the other times I went to get help, uh, they all mesh in together, to be honest. Um, mm. I think the most frustrating part of going every time was that every single one of them said it, until the seventh one, by the way, but every single one of those first six therapists went, tell me, uh, tell me where this starts. And by the sixth person, I'm like, I'm reliving all this stuff back to back. Yeah. You don't have me on file. Like you all, you're <laughs> wow. all writing, you're all writing stuff down. Where is this writing going? Like, you know yeah. what I'm going through. Um, yeah. So that immediately with each of them just set the tone for the session. I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them, a lot of them, actually, the thing I did not vibe with was they liked to listen to their own voice instead of listening yes. to me. It's kind of mm -hmm. like like when I first started this podcast, for example, I would write down a set of questions that I really wanted to ask. And instead of mm -hmm. listening to the guest and vibing mm -hmm. and, you know, going with the guest i'd worry about what i'm asking next yeah so that's kind of what they were doing so they would ask me like tell me about yourself and i would tell them things that should probably be concerning for a therapist and they mm -hmm. would just go okay uh and uh what about this and i'm like really you're not gonna mm -hmm. i don't know elaborate want me to you don't want me to elaborate on that last point uh yeah. so it was just a bunch of that and i just did not vibe with it and it wasn't until that seventh therapist who gave me her number and would actually sit down. She turned her phone off, do not disturb, put it to the side, didn't write anything. She was just listening. And that's wow. the first time I felt a connection with the therapist. I was like, she genuinely wants to listen to my story. She's just not, she's not here for a paycheck. Like that's not her wow. main drive. She wants to help people. And yeah, that's, that's kind of some of the horror stories I went through in therapy. But, but... So I'm always quick to say, and Justin will tell you, 
I'm always quick to say that it's never happening to you. It's always happening for you. Mm -hmm. And so maybe connecting the dots, looking backwards, as you as you so eloquently talked about, you needed to go through them in order to get to that person to understand what you needed. And then I want to fast forward to you now speaking one of the movies I love and, 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 and I have to say it. Eight Mile. Have you ever watched Eight Mile? Mm, I love Eight Mile. Yep. Yep. So Eight Mile, and I do this whenever I'm speaking, whenever I'm doing training, I usually show the video of the last scene. Mm. And the reason why I show the last scene is because for those of you who haven't watched Eight Mile, please watch Eight Mile. But the last scene where Eminem wins and then he's about to go into the final against Papa Doc, who's won like 20,000 times and he's the man and one of Eminem's crew says oh everybody's happy for him and then one of the Eminem's crew says aren't you worried he's going to talk about and everybody says shut up and Eminem goes to the bathroom and he looks in the mirror and he comes out and they flip to who's going first and Papa Doc said let him go first and Eminem is going first and it seems like he's about to freeze up again because he's been freezing up when he's about to do his freestyle all throughout then he took his attention off of Papa Doc and he went to the crowd and he started hyping up the crowd. And what he did at that moment is what you told me you did. He started talking about all the negative things. I grew up in a trailer park. I, my, my girl did this. I am this. I am this. And, and Papa Doc was looking because that's what he was going to say against him in the battle. Mm -hmm. But he started taking Eminem, took his power from that thing that would have had power over him. And then he changed the table and he said, but I know something you don't know. And he started talking about Papa Doc growing up in a two parent household because, you know, he was a rapper. So he's supposed to be a thug and he hang around mm -hmm. and he went to a private school and all of this. And everybody's Ooh. like, oh, my God. And everybody's going, wow. So when you told me that's immediately what I thought about that you did it anyway you were nervous and you chose to talk about your experiences to help others i commend you for that because i believe it's then we take our power away from that thing that has rendered us powerless for years and when we begin mm. to plug into our power that true source to say no i went through this but i'm taking the power away from this so i can now move on to have a better more productive more purposeful life so thank you for doing that because i'm sure the 300 people that you were nervous about while you was reading the paper i'm sure they enjoyed <laughs> because you said they were responding you were getting emails you were getting all these because we think that it's just us mm -hmm. it's not just us it's other people out there who need to hear our story that's why when i talk about this podcast that justin and i started when we say we're on a mission to interview the world's most successful failures. We mean that because the failure was part of the process to get you to your success. But when you start connecting the dots backwards, you see that everything I went through, I was supposed to go through to get me here to do what I'm able to do to help the people that I'm able to help. Mm, yeah. No, thank you for that. Yeah. I got chills from that eight mile scene, man. That's a great, that's a great scene. As a kid, I wanted to be a rapper. So watching that movie, I was like, Ooh, um, <laughs> but yeah, sometimes I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest, man. Sometimes I'll be driving or, uh, you know, 
in my room listening to music from the times where I was very low. Um, like the one song I can think of that will put me into tears no matter what is uh, Meek Mill's Maybach Curtains. Um, oh, yes. Just because John Legend on that hook, first of all, is a masterpiece. But when he goes like, look how far we came and he's talking about that, I really take myself and put myself in young me shoes. I'm still young, but like mm. younger mm. me shoes when I felt alone, I felt hopeless. There was a point where I was so comfortable with not with ending my life that I was set on never seeing my 20th birthday. I was set on never mm. seeing my 19th birthday, my 21st birthday. I was like, I do not want to see them because that means I wouldn't have succeeded in ending my life like I want to so bad. And so just putting myself in that those shoes, I get emotional every time I think about it because it's just like to see what I've gone through and to see where I am now, it's like, it's a little overwhelming. And on that, on that point that you mentioned about uh, how the podcast helps people, like your guys' podcast helps more people than you can see, because especially now, like we're, we're in, we're alone in a room with a Zoom call. It's hard to really think about it. I had one of those moments a couple months ago, um, a guy hit me up on DM and like, he didn't have a username or anything, no profile. So I was like, this kind of weird. But uh, he called me, he, like he DM called me and I picked it up and uh, it was a guy that I hadn't talked to in f- 12, 13 years. He was my best friend 13 years ago and he picked up and he said, I want you to know that uh, I was going to kill myself tonight and your, your, your profile came up on my explore page uh, and you stopped it. And I remember sitting there like, like, how do you register that? Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was like, that's when I kind of realized like, this is bigger than I am. Like it, yeah. it's hard to see that when you're, you know, I'm like, this isn't my usual setup. Like I'm usually in my mom's basement, uh, just mm-hmm. like with me in the computer, just rambling to guests. And I just, I never see the impact it has. So it's when you get messages like that, I'm sure you guys have too. It's just kind of like, it puts things into perspective, really. It's like, wow, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's that perspective, right? It's that perspective. Mm. And one of the things that you said, which I think we all need to get better at, is listening, is listening. And even when you went back to your younger self, you were trying to speak to people to get them to hear you. I think when we listen, we can hear. I'm a big, I'm a big, I'm a big, I'm a people person. I even, and I know this is my ability, right? This is my, when, when I always ask guests and, you know, what's your superpower? What's your, I know my superpower is being able to empathize, sympathize, and be able to listen to a person and to really get them out of a state that they may, may be in at that particular time to get them in a better, a different, a more productive state. Now, not that I want them to be where I want them to be, I want them to be where they need to be. Yes. I want them to be where they're in a different position that they find themselves in to know that it's possible. Because I truly believe, and Justin would say, I truly believe it's possible for us to live our dreams. But it can never happen if we continue to, like you said, that cycle, right? We, we, we go to class, we go to practice, and then we go home. We have to be willing to be comfortable enough to break outside of the monotony to do something different, to experience something different, because we all deserve to live a great life. But if we don't believe and we have that self-talk thinking that, no, you don't deserve this. No, you shouldn't. Oh, what if they find out you're a fraud? 
Hmm. Well, all of us are dealing with different things that we're not great at, but it's some things that we're phenomenal at. This right here, your podcast platform is something that you're phenomenal at because you're willing to tell your story and other people have a story similar to yours that you won't be able to reach the same people that they can reach. But if you can inspire them to be comfortable telling their story, then they can hit the people who are in their fear. Right. And their right. spheres. So I, I thank you for that. I thank you for that. So now we have this podcast um, and you're doing these great things. So tell me about future plans. So so what you're about to graduate. What's going on? What, what what's, what's the future look like? Man, I hope it looks good. Um, so I'm I'm ready to graduate. There was a complication with my class schedule last year that made me have to take one course this half year which was so frustrating, but hey, we're we're almost out of it. I don't even want to wallow in that uh, anger, <laughs> but um, you know, we're out. Because we don't need you punching walls. We talked about that already, <laughs> no, okay? I, we talked about that old back. person, right? There no, I don't want to go back to that. Um, that didn't feel good in any uh, capacity, but um, so once I graduate, uh, I think I'm, I, like I, I think I mentioned, I, I want to take the year off because mm-hmm. mentally, I, I frankly, I'm burnt out school burnt me Mm -hmm. out just trying to prove my worth and uh dealing with all like this mental health journey i feel completely burnt out of school and if i'm going to go into teacher's college i want to go with a fresh mind i don't want i feel like it'd be a waste of money and time to just go in and half-ass everything you know what i mean i'd rather go in fully dedicated and ready to go so uh i want to take that wait wait teach teacher's college I know I heard when I came in, you you and Justin were having a conversation. Oh, I know yeah, nothing yeah, about yeah, this yeah, teacher's yeah. college. That oh, was before bad. I got here. My so bad. can you talk to us a little about this going to teacher's college? Let's go. Come on. Congratulations. Thank you. Those yeah. who learn must teach in some way, some form. Go That's ahead, right. teacher. <laughs> Jeez. Um, yeah. No, my, my goal right now is to get into teacher's college somewhere. And uh, teach science and English to kids. I feel like I, mm. I, it's just I love, I love teaching kids. Uh, at the Toronto mm. Zoo, I teach, um, I teach children about all the animals, and it's like something I really love to do. Um, and so my my actual plan is I want to climb up the ranks at the zoo to the point mm. where I can help lead educational programs or help run them myself. Um, and I think in order to do that, I'll need teacher's college. So mm. I, I want to go to teacher's college, uh, not this year, but next year when I'm fresh, fresh minded, uh, ready to go and sharp. I just love teaching. I love, I've always been a leader. Um, and yeah. you know, I, I coach kids with swimming. I love it. It's just, re- it's a rewarding job. So mm. that's kind of the goal. Why? Why is it rewarding? I think the most rewarding part of it is you see how do i put it when you when you see a kid figure something out in their head mm-hmm. like you see the click you can visually see it that's like one of the most rewarding things i've ever seen um you know you you always get the little rascals who love to you know when like i i teach eight to 10 year olds like you're always going to get the class clown and you're always going to get the guys who are like we don't have to listen to you like girls are always typically better at eight to ten because they love to listen and guys just don't care if they're trying to make Mm. their brothers in the class laugh or whatever but Mm. when i would teach them about a certain animal or you know about how 
some process in the rainforest goes or something, you see that sparkle in their eye and you see their eyes widen. If they're really interested in it, their mouths are open. They're like, oh, wow. And that feeling, yeah. I'm like, I'm teaching these, I'm blowing these kids' minds right now. Because I remember as a yeah. kid, I would live at the Toronto Zoo. It, if it's mm. like a full circle that way. I used to stay there as a kid and draw all the animals in a notepad. Like that was my safe place. So to yeah. see that full circle where I'm now giving that feeling to kids, there's nothing more rewarding than that, man. Seriously. You, you know, it's funny that you say that, Harry. It, you just, I, I feel like once again, I'm talking to my student athletes because they, they always come back and they always say, Doc, I just want to thank you. And I'm like, I want to thank you because they help sharpen me. Mm. One of the things that you just said, coming full circle, I love it because you first got into the college and you was going to be a veterinarian and you didn't know you had to go get this other education to be that, but you're still able to be around because you talked about, I love animals. You've always loved animals. So now you mean to tell me that you don't have to be a veterinarian, but you can still do a job that allows you to do the thing you love, which is working with, and you get to do that other thing, which is figure out creative ways to teach kids to love what it is that you're passionate about mm -hmm. and that they can become passionate about. That's it. I got this thing we do in my office where when my student athletes come in, when they're juniors and seniors, but whenever it happened, I can tell that they're thinking now because, you know, at first they come and, 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 and they're not thinking like I know they're capable of thinking. They're just athlete students they're not yet student athletes mm. wink wink harry wink wink okay they're not yet <laughs> student athletes yet and so when they come in my office and they're like man doc i um this stuff is really a business i need to start taking care of my business because man i'm about to graduate soon and i'll go over to my light and i'll flick it on and off i'll flick it on and off and i'll say huh the light switch is clicking on, huh? Yep. Because I tell them that when they first get here, I hope that you get to go live your dreams, which many of them want to go to that next level. Mm -hmm. But the reality is you can't control that. You can control what you do to put you in a position to be able to do that. But what you can always control is what you do in that classroom. And when that light switch clicks on and they understand that I have to now start controlling what I can control, which is in that classroom. And then the light switch clicks on and they start understanding that, man, I really enjoy doing this. And then especially when I have people who they once didn't think they could, but then they went and got the help. And then they found out they could because they got help with something they were weak at. But now they understand that, hey, I'm strong at this thing. This isn't my thing, but this is my thing. And maybe I could even help that person who had opened me with this thing do this thing because they share it with me. This isn't their thing. So we all have our lanes. So I'm glad you found your lane. I'm glad you found your power. I'm glad that you are doing what it is that you've learned, which is the importance of helping others. So I want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. So I know we're close on that hour. So what I want to do, because I always got to ask my guests this. I, and, and as you know, I don't take notes and, and, and I just go off of the dome because I do believe the importance is listening and hearing and having a conversation. When my athletes graduate, I tell them when they're going into their interview, you make the interview a conversation. 
because they would be silly not to hire you. And I need you to understand that. I need you to understand that you have valuable skills that can help that company. But if you go in there thinking, oh, oh, I don't know if I then you won't be able to turn it into a conversation. So I thank you for this conversation. I thank you that your guests will be able to hear this. My guests will be able to hear this and they'll share it around the world. But here's the questions I have for you. So I'm going to ask you five words. I'm going to ask you five words. So I'm going to give you one word and then I want you to give me in a, I want you to give me back a word. Give me back a word. When I say this word, I want you to give me back a word that you think reflects that particular word. Okay. Mm, okay. So I'm going to ask you a word and you give me one word. I don't want a sentence. I don't want your dissertation. I want one <laughs> word. Okay. That, 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 that you feel sums up that word. So here we go. You ready? Let's do it. Mental health. Ooh. Um, I guess that's two words, but mental health. Mental health. Important. Help. Needed. Strong. Strong. Uh, vulnerable. That's beautiful. Ooh. Thank <laughs> you. you caught me on that one. Because <laughs> that is strong. That is very strong. Oh. Disney. Oh, fire. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and last question you ready yep let's do it teacher teacher um important did i say that word already you did you want to use it or do you want to substitute that word or you want to call a friend which one <laughs> i'll substitute for uh valuable valuable you didn't use that word no listen i want to thank you harry potvin for taking time out because the thing i've always said is time is our most most valuable com commodity mm -hmm. time is something we can't get back when it's gone it's gone so i thank you for taking this time with my listeners on this episode of the purpose lab and i'm, I'm stuck for words and I, I i'm usually not stuck for words but I'm being vulnerable right now. I have had an opportunity to speak with so many students, particularly student athletes. And as we're going through this pandemic and even a lot of them before the pandemic who may have been raised in a dysfunctional setting or a functional setting. When you talk about important, when you talk about vulnerability, when you talk about all of these different things, I need them to understand that it's important to go get help. It's important to say, you know what? Right now, I'm just not feeling the way I know I should be feeling because I'm feeling something inside of me. And it's OK to go get help from a person who maybe can allow me to get some of that thing out. And if you don't get the right person to continue to try to press forward to find the right person because the world needs what you have, because everyone is a valuable piece to this puzzle called life. So thank you for helping my listeners understand that it's never happening to you. It's always happening for you. And thank you for helping my listeners understand that success 
requires failure, but learning from that failure will ultimately get you to success that you're searching for. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being a member of this Purpose Lab, People Purpose community. Thank you, Harry Potter. You hear me, Harry Potter? I heard I that. Say yeah. Harry Potter. I, get, I, get <laughs> I, I didn't know if lot. he was going to catch. Because that's, is that a Disney movie? Is that that's Disney? No, that's Universal. Yeah, yeah, Universal. Yeah, I get, I, when I was in grade four, I got that a lot. People were like, oh, are you Harry Potter? I'm like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> the wizardry of it all. All right, so before I let you go, though, Harry, tell our, and, and, Everyone is Harry Potman, okay? I don't want y'all thinking I had <laughs> Harry Potter on here, okay? I don't want y'all say, oh, look at Damon. He's going real big now. No, I got <laughs> Harry Potman on the show. But Harry, how can they find you? Please tell our listening audience because I need them to be able to connect with you and connect with your many platforms. Oh, thank you, man. First of all, thank you for letting me come on, man. I love this discussion. I think it's important. And I appreciate you taking the time out of your guys' day to let me, you know, spew my story out. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, so they can find me. I'm on Instagram pretty much every day of the week. <laughs> uh, I'm at the mental corner. Um, so that's probably the best place. To, I have social media platforms for everywhere, but Instagram's the one I'm most active on and mo easiest to reach at. So hit me up with a DM. I'm more than willing to answer and I'm probably on my phone as you send it. So don't be afraid. I don't bite, I promise. Um, and then Definitely. I have a YouTube, it's called The Mental Corner, uh, but if you want to listen to the show, uh, the visuals are on YouTube, but the po podcast is kind of where it's at. So if you look on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from, it's called The H Panel with Harry Potvin. Um, yeah, so just hit me up with a DM. Let's talk. We send our best stuff to our insiders, so make sure you're on the list at aimhighu.com slash insiders.